Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and thank you for listening to episode 224 with Doug Chadwick. Now, the goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best leaders, athletes, coaches, and consultants, all about the topic of mindset to help us reach our potential or be high performers in our field or our sport. Now, typically with two episodes weekly, we explore everything related to mindset. You can learn secrets from a world-class consultant, like in today's episode, or listen uh, to me provide a short, powerful message to inspire you to be at your best consistently. Now, if you know that your mindset is essential to your success, then this is the podcast for you. Today, I look forward to introducing you to Dr. Doug Chadwick. He serves as the mental skills coordinator for the Colorado Rockies Baseball Club, where he designs the curriculum, facilitates mental skills education, and teaches the Rockies, both the minor and major league players and their staff, about the mental skills necessary for optimal performance under pressure. So Doug's responsibilities cover hundreds of professional athletes, including seven professional teams in the United States and two in Latin America. So as you could imagine, he is busy. Doug earned his bachelor's in management and systems engineering from the United States Military Academy, West Point, where he was also a multi-year letterman and starter on the nationally ranked Army football team. He was commissioned and served in the Army for over 20 years before retiring as a faculty member at West Point. And while serving in the Army, Doug received two different master's degrees, one in applied economics and the other in kinesiology and sports psychology from Cal State Fullerton. So we talk a little bit about his unique journey to his career. You know, after completing his PhD, Doug returned to West Point as the director of the Center for Enhanced Performance, which is a comprehensive student services center and is now the mental skills coordinator at the Colorado Rockies. And we talk about uh, various different things in this interview. We talk about his unique journey to the field of sports ecology um, and how his Army work and his experience in the Army and his experience at West Point really informs his work with the MOB now. We also talk about what the best do differently, um, how the best learn from failure, how uh, they recover and why the importance uh, of recovery is essential to high performance. And we also talk a little bit about um, his different army slogans, how and they are incorporated into his work in the MLB and ways that we can really stay in the moment to help us do our best work. So my favorite quote from this interview was this one. Towards the beginning of the interview, Doug says, the best bring their best consistently. They can bring it when it matters. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Doug. Would love to hear from you. Uh, you can always uh, connect with me on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. The full show notes from today's episode where you can find tweets or quotes from today's interview, you can head over to syndracampoff.com slash Doug. That's C-I-N-D-R-A-K-A-M-P-H-O-F-F dot com slash Doug. Enjoy today's interview. Doug, I'm excited to welcome you today to the High Performance Mindset. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much, Cinder, for having me on this. I appreciate it. 
I'm looking forward to the conversation. I know we've been working at getting you on for, for some time now, and I always love seeing you at, at ASP, the Sports Psychology Conference. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I know. We've been trying to get on the same page for a little while and uh, just, you know, the schedules of, of competitive sport and uh, everything else in life. But uh, I'm glad we finally were able to find the time to spend, uh, you know, just discussing how we do this work. I know. It's going to be fun. So to kind of start off, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you're doing right now, Doug. Right now, I uh, serve as the mental skills coordinator for the Colorado Rockies, and uh, I'll be heading into my fourth season, which is hard to believe at this point. Uh, it's gone quickly, but uh, I did, you know, I took the position right out of the Army. I had retired after over 20 years of service and uh, went right into this position with the Rockies, and uh, I couldn't imagine it going much better. I love the organization. I love the people I get to work with. You know, when you're dealing with professional athletes, which I really wasn't sure I wanted to do uh, initially, I love working at the college level especially, but working with the professional athletes, they just, uh, they have a, a real, uh, as you said, passion for what they do. And uh, it's just very rewarding to be a part of that and see these, these uh, young athletes progress into the highest level into Major League Baseball players. So um, that's, you know, where I'm at right now. I'm, I, I work at all levels of the organization from our brand new draftees at the short season level. Even our Latin players have two teams down in the Dominican Republic and uh, the rest of the, the developmental side as well as our Major League team. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about, you know, if you've been at the, the Rockies for four years now, Doug, tell us a little bit about um, how you got there and, you know, your progression in your career. Okay. So when I talk <laughs> about this part of things, I always give uh, whoever I'm talking to, but especially young practitioners who are looking to break into this world, uh, a warning that my path will probably not look anything like anybody else's because it's pretty meandering. But I'll go ahead and start at when I was a, a competitive athlete myself, uh, I was uh, a football player at West Point and at the United States Military Academy back in the 90s. And just after I got there, or I'm sorry, just before I, I started there, they had started to build a program that worked uh, on the performance psych side, just exclusively performance psychology, sports psychology work with our athletes and primarily the football team. And we had two primary practitioners there, Louis Choka, who was a full colonel that was working uh, initially out of the behavioral sciences department and uh, Dr. Nate Zinzer. They worked you know, pretty heavily with us while we were there uh, well, or while I was there. But what happened in that, in my progression as, a, as an athlete, we, at that time in the 90s, we weren't, you know, particularly good. We weren't terrible, but we weren't very good, at least the first couple of years. And within uh, the span of my playing career, we actually became uh, a top 25 team, 10 and 2, and, and, you know, went to a bowl game and, and uh, won their commander-in-chief's trophy and things like that. And that really kind of crystallized at least for me that the value of the mental game i mean people didn't see us as a great a great team or a bunch of a group of you know exceptional athletes but the value of the of working deliberately on the mental side of things 
really came to light for me at that point as an athlete. You know, with that, I, I didn't think too much about it as I moved on into the military. And so right after graduation, I graduated and became an officer in the Army and spent uh, you know, a good five, six years sort of figuring things out in the Army, realizing, I don't know that I, I really want to do this for very long and, and okay. I'm ready to get out. Uh, right about the time that 9-11 happened. Mm. And I had actually already resigned and was ready. I'd done a, a graduate degree in applied economics. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I was ready to do something very different. And so when 9-11 happened, uh, my wife and I really, you know, had a, a discussion about what we could do, you know, in, in terms of service. And so we decided to, to uh, stick around and try some other things in the military. So I got an assignment that took us over to Europe. And while I was there, pretty soon after I got there, the war in Iraq started. Okay. And so I was deployed pretty quickly uh, out of Germany into Iraq. And I was in a, in a pretty secured, mm -hmm. uh, safer role, I guess, in terms of that context for the first month or two while I was there, and the insurgency really emerged uh, as we got there. Uh, this was at the beginning of 2004. And so they put our, our unit in a very volatile place. It was a, a, a large city, about 330,000 people, uh, the, the capital of the Diyala province. And it was really, you know, we faced all the challenges that you could possibly face in that environment. And I was given a command of the company that was in charge of the whole south of that city. And, and right away, we, we had lost soldiers and, and we had uh, a number of injured soldiers. And it was just a very violent time there. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and, and how am I going to get through this? And how am I going to lead these soldiers through this experience? and do it as well as I can. And so while I was in command, I started to ask uh, the folks back at West Point about the use of the performance psychology skills within the soldiering context. Huh, so you got back to your football days. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it really, because I remember thinking, even in some of these missions that I went on were, you know, things are exploding and there's so many distractions and, and, you know, you can barely hear yourself think. And I'm, you know, going back in my mind thinking, okay, that was like being on the goal line in this game when the crowd noise was deafening and having to function under the, all the, that pressure and distraction. And I remembered making those real connections to athletic experiences and then thinking, what about these skills that helped me do this and how we deliberately trained on them? Hmm. And so I started to ask and, and I asked the folks back at West Point and uh, they steered me to a couple of different books and things that I could read while I was there and, and articles and links of, of people that I could look up. And so at that time, this is 2004, the middle of 2004, I, I you know, in the middle of Iraq, sort of Googled or whatever search engine we used back then. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I looked up uh, the sports psychology, you know, gurus, and one of them happened to be a guy named Dr. Ken Revizzo. 
Yes, of course. I had no idea who he was at that time. But what happened just about the time that I Googled him or whatever, he was he came in and he stepped in with Fullerton after they had a really, really slow start and helped them turn their season around to the point where they won, you know, 30 something games out of their last 36 games and won in Omaha. And yes. And this is baseball. Yes. Right. Yep. Baseball team. Right. So I thought, well, there may be something to this and something to this guy. So I ordered heads up baseball in, in Iraq <laughs> and uh, I started using uh, the skills, the wow. same skills in that environment without knowing him or knowing any of really hadn't been discussed too much that sports psychology, you know, was being used outside of the, that performance context uh, or the, the sport performance context. So Chad, sure what did I, you, what did you see, what did you see yourself using from heads up baseball? Like, you know, what are, what are the, the performance psychology principles you saw yourself using then after you were learning more about it? Right. I guess the thing that really resonated with me was, trying to control the things that you could control in that environment where so much was not in your control, you could always control your response or choose to control your response. And, and so for me, that was a really enlightening concept that, you know, all those things that, that are not in your control, especially as in a leadership position where you're trying to manipulate the good guys and then the bad guys, they got to say in this, this thing too. And, you know, so many distractions and so much that can bring you out of the moment, but just focusing on managing yourself and managing your response appropriate to that situation. And, you know, so that really resonated with me as I'm reading through that and having some of the skills to do that, you know, using, the, using the breathing and using routines like pre-mission routines doing some good self-evaluation after after missions and capturing the lessons and and just bringing that into the training making training as realistic as possible you know taking those those very same skills of, of managing your emotions and your thoughts just contextualizing them to that situation outside of baseball that's excellent. So I love how you reached out to the West Point, so probably someone like Nate Zinzer got the book, started using a baseball psychology book <laughs> in Iraq. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And so that's, you know, an unusual uh, start to this path. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so then tell us a little bit more, Chad, your time in Iraq, uh, you know, in your transition to actually study then with Ken. Right. So I, we, we were there in Iraq for about 13 months, that first uh, deployment, and got back, got back to Germany in, in the early spring. And I had about six months more in command. So I was there until the summer. And in that process, and, and because I had you know, started that, that communication between West Point and myself, or at least we, we had you know, started these conversations, I was asked to come back and, and work in the center. And it's called the Center for Enhanced Performance at West Point. And so I was given the opportunity to go to graduate school for a master's degree. And so my first choice from the world of graduate programs was to, to call Ken or visit at Cal State Fullerton and, and you know, let him know I had used his, his information. I didn't know how he was going to take that. Sure. Uh, 
you know, because that's not the context he was writing it for, of course. But uh, I, I called uh, Ken from Germany, and this time uh, Ken <laughs> didn't use cell phones, didn't write emails, you know, you had to catch him, uh, make an appointment to catch him, and I'm in Europe and he's in, in California, so we're trying to work across numerous time zones to, to get a conversation in. So uh, I called Ken and, and said, hey, I really, you know, I don't know how you're going to take this, but I, I used your information in your book in Iraq as a commander. And his response was sort of classic Ken. I don't know, I, not safe for work, <laughs> his response, but he, he was just kind of like, you know, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was real that's for sure Uh, and and so I was like okay I I think this guy and you know we're gonna get along pretty well (laughs) so so we had some great conversations even before I got there and so I gave up command in Germany on August like 15th of 2005 and Okay. Was flying across the you know several countries and and uh, in Fullerton on the 16th registering for classes and uh, I think I started like two days later. <laughs> this is a sort of typical army uh, scheduling there, you know, yes. not much break in between. But I got to spend two amazing years studying uh, under Ken and just getting as much exposure to him and his work. And he was just so generous and, and open with opportunities um, for me to, to be able to be in the room with, with people I probably had no business being in the room with at that point. And, and just hear him and, and see him interact with, with athletes and performers at uh, the highest level and, and try and absorb as, uh, as much of that as I could. Uh, really remarkable two years getting as much as I could out of that experience before I, I went back to West Point. And, um, and then I served, you know, another three and a half years or so back at West Point, um, working in the center as the, the deputy director of the Center for Enhanced Performance. And, um, you know, working heavily with the athletes there, but also developing what became outreach and then permanent positions as part of the Army Centers for Enhanced Performance, which morphed into other programs and, and then part of what's called Comprehensive Soldier Fitness and some of these other outreach programs or, or these permanent programs that are now in the hands of, of uh, contractors mostly doing a lot of the performance work with uh, the military population. So I was on the front end of, of that along with the full-time work of, of working with athletes at West Point. So it was a busy couple of years, to say the least. And then I was invited to come back. I had to go serve more. I, I did another deployment, did a PhD, and then came back as the director before retiring um, back in 2016. Excellent. So then tell us a little bit about your transition then with the Rockies and why you decided to go that path in professional baseball. Uh, it was really, I think, you know, serendipitous <laughs> timing. Yeah, timing is everything. And, and uh, I had decided that I was not going to do this work, uh, that there was, you know, going to be too much time trying to build a consultancy clientele 
Um, and, and just, I didn't think I wanted to do that. I really liked the, the idea of being part of a team or part of an organization. And so I was sort of leaning towards doing athletic administration at a university and looking at those opportunities because the center at West Point does more now than it, than it used to. It does all the academic support. Uh, so I had experience in that and, so I was looking at kind of the student services side of, of in, a, in a university setting, and um, I guess it was right about the time that I was looking, you know, it really able to start pushing out resumes or, you know, really think about interviewing with, with uh, I think it was about six months from being available after retirement. And... I got a call from Ken, actually, from Ken that said, hey, there's a couple of teams that are looking for people and now they're hiring, you know, full time. Okay. And, uh, and one of them uh, is the Rockies. And so, you know, would you be interested in at least talking to them? You know, Ken kind of knew where I was at. And, and I said, of course, you know, I would love to. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity to have a conversation with a professional team. And so... I got a few calls that were, you know, supposed to be sort of five minute conversations and they turned into hour long conversations <laughs> and explaining, you know, my background and, and, you know, what I've done in the work and uh, really just, it, it progressed very smoothly and very, just pretty easily as, as these relationships formed with some of the front office folks at, uh, within the Rockies organization and some of their, their, uh, developmental uh, personnel the, 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 on the player development side. And so I just, you know, it felt like the right thing to do. And pretty soon, you know, I had an offer from them and, and uh, I wasn't really even available yet. So I took a little bit of leave to go to spring training and came back and finished up things at West Point. And, and then just right after I, you know, like the next day I'm, I'm a Rocky <laughs> doing the work with the guys. Oh, that's wonderful. Outstanding. What a great a story and a great journey. And uh, I love how, you know, Heads Up Baseball and the book seem to kind of change your trajectory. So, you know, Doug, I'm thinking about what you do now and day to day with uh, professional athletes and, and even you can rely on your experience in Iraq and at West Point, but tell us what you see that um, some of the world's best do. What do you think separates them mentally from others? Well, I think that, you know, what, what you see the world's best do is you see them bring the best that they have consistently. You know, they, they, you see a consistency out of the world's best athletes that separates them from those who excel occasionally <laughs> or those who are, um, you know, you see a ton of potential in, but they can't bring what they have to bear at when it matters. And so I think often when you think of, you know, gamer or somebody who's clutch, you're really not seeing them excel to a certain extent more than they would normally. You're just seeing them do what they do under pressure. And, yeah. and I think that's really what, what separates some, some great, great athletes or great performers from others who, who might have the potential uh, to do it occasionally, or uh, you just see flashes of it, but those those who are great do it consistently. 
consistently? And what do you think that takes? You know, what do you see them doing in terms of maybe mental skills or, you know, how have they trained themselves to be able to really be clutch under pressure? Yeah, I think what, again, with the way you see that manifest is you, you see a short memory. You see them have the ability to go from one play to the next, whether it's in baseball, you know, in terms of one pitch at a time, you know, be able to make a mistake and come back on the next pitch and execute the way that that they're supposed to. And that's the way you see it uh, transpire. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the, the, the way that they do that is, uh, it varies from person to person because some people are able to do that a little bit more innately or inherently. They're able to just move forward and, and go forward. But for a lot of great athletes who spent a lot of time focusing on all the minutiae, all the, the physical and technical side of their game, that's the tendency is to go back to that thinking of, you know, okay, I'm going to tweak this or fix this or keep yeah. this arm down or do all the, the little, you know, mechanical things that go into executing and that really sends us into a spiral often and so we what we end up having to to teach or unteach is that focus on all the mechanical and and all the minutiae and get them thinking about just being in the moment and executing on that particular play or that particular pitch and I see you know so that's what I spend a lot of time doing especially with baseball because we have time we have years to sort of deprogram that thinking that tendency to focus on all the mechanical technical side of the game yeah that's one thing I see Doug too in the NFL uh, when guys have say a bad game or maybe two in a row that they start tweaking their technique Really, I find that it needs to be more of a reset and then they get so much in their head and then their technique is so off, (laughs) you know, instead of kind of what you're saying is being more in the present and trusting, I think that your technique is is there and that you've spent years and years and years building this technique. Right. And and that, like you said, uh, Cinder, that trust is such a key component to this and, and having them prepare or you know what has been called training the trust get them preparing to uh, compete in a mindset that's appropriate for competition and in training that trusting mindset because so much of the training so much of the practice is spent in that very technical mindset and we've got to spend time uh, getting getting folks out of that mindset in our preparation yes And what do you think about, you know, just from your own experience, what do you think about like how to train the trust? I think that's a really good term and uh, I like it. I I could imagine that the baseball guys that you work with, you know, that they like that terminology. So what do you think? What do you think it takes to train that? Well, what I try to do with, and and we can speak specifically with, with the baseball context is I try to get the guys out of, and here's the thing with baseball, and it drives me a little crazy. One of the things, one of the axioms I use from the military, I try not to throw the military stuff at them too hard, although a number Mm -hmm. of athletes like to hear about that stuff. I I want them to focus more on where they're at. So, but one of the, the things that I use with them is train as you fight. And so when I talk about that, that's, that's something that's a militaryism that, that, 
you know, we talk about, okay, we got to create realistic training. And during the season for baseball players, their preparation does not look like games. Batting practice does not look like a, a hitting in a game. Uh, throwing a bullpen does not look like pitching in a game. Mm-hmm. And so I have to spend time with these talk, with the guys and, and the coaching staff, and that's an important part of this, is, is getting everybody on the same page, explaining the value of, okay, we've got to spend some time. You can spend time giving them uh, the mechanical tips and making sure that they're mechanically correct. But then we've got to spend some time in our bullpen, you know, maybe the last 10 pitches in a mindset that's more focused on competing and getting to the next pitch and being committed to the next pitch rather than, you know, okay, stop. Let's talk about where your foot was. Let's talk about, you know, how aligned you were, all the things that go into throwing a good pitch. At some point you have to start practicing competing. And so getting into that mindset of being narrowly focused on executing this one pitch. Right. And do you think that doing that in practice helps train the trust, like trust in yourself and trust that you can, you're not overthinking in the moment of pressure, right? That you can be clutch. Yeah. And and I think giving them the tools, some of the things that we would say help bring you into the moment too. Right. For sure. Not just, you know, that, that internal dialogue, but having a few performance oriented things that you're going to do anyway but do, you know, put purpose to them so it helps to bring you in the moment. So, for example, for a pitcher, before you step onto the rubber, clean off the rubber as if you're wiping away the last pitch. And, and then step on with purpose. And, and use some of those things they're going to do anyway as part of a process to get them back into the moment. And, and there's one very, very important. I tell them they can have any, any crazy routine that they want. Uh, as long as they own it and put purpose to those things. But there's one, one thing I'm very, very prescriptive about, the breath. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> they got to include some nice deep breaths. And, and Ken always was so good about talking about the value of the breath um, in terms of not just what we know as a physiological process, uh, changes um, some important physiological things in terms of uh, I use some heart rate variability measures and things, uh, some biofeedback to show that there's a, a physiological change when when we take some nice deep breaths. But he talked about it more like in the metaphysical uh, that it you know takes you out. If you're focused on taking a good breath in and exhaling a good breath out, that's in the moment, and it doesn't allow you to think about the past. And it doesn't allow you to think about the future, which is our, our tendencies is to think about, you know, the potential outcome in the future or ruminate about the last pitch or the last couple of pitches or the last at bat. And that breath just, you know, allows you to come back to the moment and it's very good for you. So that's the one piece I say they have to do. <laughs> uh, love it. I love it. I like that you're prescriptive with that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And you know how you were saying about how the best really do have a short term memory and they can move on really quickly and how some people maybe have a tendency to just kind of ruminate on the past mm-hmm. um, or maybe be too future oriented. Tell us a bit about what do you see in terms of teaching that to stay more in the present and letting go of the of the mistake? Yeah, the, the letting go, what I try to do, which is always hard, what I try to do, and, and uh, 
allow the guys to develop their own ways. But there's, there's certain things. I like the, the idea of using symbolic gestures. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's just the kind of sort of picking up some dirt and, and letting it go and, or, you know, in baseball, you can spit and nobody thinks twice about it. And it's just part of the accepted culture. But to do it as part of your process, you know, literally spit it out and let it go and, and use some of these things that they might do anyway. If you, even if it's just take your hat off, you know, wipe your head and wipe that play away and then come back to your process that brings you back to the moment. Mm, excellent. And the process might be deep breath or what do you typically see at the highest level what their process is? You really see some interesting routines and, and some of it's related and, and it can be distinguished between ritualistic, which I, I associate with uh, superstition. Yeah, me too. Um, right. And, and, and distinguish that, the ritualistic superstitious, which baseball is full of, uh, <laughs> to, to things that are more routine, on purpose, adaptive to where you're at, and um, allow you to be flexible, allow you to realize, okay, I need a couple of breaths. I don't need one breath as I always take one breath. No, if you need more, you can take more. If you want to step out, but like there's these things with baseball because it's such a closed sport, and, and Kim would always use those the actual physical piece of stepping onto the rubber or stepping into the box. And if you're not ready for the next pitch, well, don't step in. And and when you're ready, you know, you physically step in. And so using those things that they have to do anyway as, as their process, but just putting more purpose to each of those steps or just to a few of those steps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, Doug, when you think of, when you think about like a, a signature technique or something that you keep coming back to that you're kind of noticing yourself talking a lot with these pro athletes about? Well, I, I guess I go back to some of those, uh, those army-isms, uh, just yeah, sure. sort of what I lean on. And, and when I, you know, I talked about the train as you fight, I really like to use that uh, with, with, the guys because I think that resonates that okay we don't normally practice the way that that it looks in the game so let's let's make the the practice at least a little bit more competitive so that there's pressures associated with it and right now we're in the off season so as I'm having conversations with with guys about their off season preparation you know, I, I let them know okay it's okay to spend a majority of your time right now in you know getting your body ready focused on the physical side of things focused on the mechanics that's fine but as we get closer to spring training let's start to integrate aspects of competition so even including gameisms. so if a guy's you know going to going to hit in the cage every um you know every other day or every day even that they they include an aspect and now you have all these uh mechanisms for feedback these technical like track man data and spin rate and all these things that we can determine about things and launch angle and things like that. So they can get this feedback and compete either against themselves or against somebody else. And I like the idea of even competing against somebody else and putting something at stake when they do it, just so it hurts a little bit and they have to use some of those 
it hurts a little bit to lose <laughs> and they have to use some of those skills uh, within their within their practice and preparation. Excellent. So train as you fight is something that you you hear yourself saying quite often. Is there any other army isms <laughs> or military isms that so I, I've got one more yeah okay, perfect. One more that I use and and then baseball I think this resonates probably more so than in, in golf or something where you're really competing against yourself uh, often. <laughs> But uh, the idea that the enemy gets a vote in the outcome. You could execute every play, every, everything about your side of this pitch, you could execute perfectly. And the enemy is you know, often associated with the, the other team, um, but it's also uh, officials, you know, umpires, and, and people who have a say in the outcome. And when the outcome is not, you can acknowledge that the outcome isn't completely in your hands, it allows you, I hope it allows you to focus on the process and focus on being, you know, controlling yourself. Everything about the way that you, you go into each pitch, you get to control. And everything about the way you come out of each pitch, you get to control that response. The stuff in, in the middle, the enemy gets a little bit of a vote in the outcome. Mm, that's a really good way to say that. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, Doug, I'm thinking quite a bit about like, how does, you know, your time in Iraq and your time with West Point, just the military connect to a sport. And obviously these two examples are ways that you've, you've connected them. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how the enemy gets the, the vote in the outcome. How have you seen the, that play out in the military? Right, and I think you know that that resonates across levels, uh, but I think really it, it's it's kind of a heavy thing to think about in the military because sure. the, the potential outcome there, you know, fatal or or potentially fatal, and that if that's what you're thinking about, you're not in the moment. You know, if you're thinking that about that potential outcome, you're not allowing yourself to be exposed to what you need to do in that moment to survive and thrive and be at your best under that pressure. So it's really, it's trying to get them. And if you can think about somebody under, in that context, being able to get out of that potential outcome and just perform, if soldiers can do that, then, right. then hopefully great performers in, in highly competitive sport can do that too. Yeah, for sure. What other similarities do you see between the military and sport? I think, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a competitive nature there that, that there's people who want to uh, uh, excel and, and be great. And, and sometimes that uh, can be consuming. You know, you can be obsessive about work and just not allow yourself to recover in, in the way that uh, our bodies need to, our bodies in, in, the, in the holistic sense. And so that's, that's one of the things that in baseball has become, I think, in a lot of sports that you see it at the youth level where kids are specializing at such a young age and they're just focused on one sport, then that's their whole life. And, and I think that's, that's consistent with the military is that you can really be consumed by that work. And uh, it's important to build in um, these opportunities to let your body and your mind and, and your emotions settle and, and remain stable. So I think, you know, I, I think the athletes have a hard time 
with me making those comparisons, like, I mean, you, you know, you've been in this environment and now you're coming and working in baseball and it's, you know, it's not the same, but for the athletes, I know they don't have that context necessarily. Most of them don't. Um, but you know, that idea that I, you don't have to, you know, be in the military to understand that this is the most important thing to you right now. Absolutely. And, and, and I, you know, I believe that that's, uh, that's a consistent, Thing that we've got to address is that this is the most important thing to you. You don't have to, you know, acknowledge my background or anything else in the military to, to know that this is the most important thing to you. And we've got to be able to manage your emotions and your mental state and allow your body to recover appropriately for you to be at your best. Yeah. And Doug, that's actually one thing that I see in the NFL as well, where guys, maybe it is so all consuming and, you know, they don't know how to turn it off or um, they're spending so much time watching film, <laughs> you know, when they get home that they're just exhausted the next day. So right. what, what do you see, you know, the, the pro athletes there at the Rockies or, you know, even when you think about the military, what do you see in terms of best practices and turning that off? Because I agree that you need to have you give yourself some downtime. And I like that you said that it's mind, body and emotions. And I, I like the emotional part because I, I think you need time to relax and recover. Yeah. And it's not, it's not always easy when, especially when things don't go well, right? When, when a, an athlete has a tough game, letting that go is, is very difficult. And so what I try to, it'll, it'll certainly keep them up at night, which is part of the cycle of not recovering, <laughs> you know? And so I try to give them some of the, the skills in a broader context too, not just specific to pitch to pitch to pitch, but also in this idea of day to day and game to game. And so using the process of coming out of competition as a process. And so there's, you know, the same idea, the same concept is you have to do certain things before you, you know, leave the, leave the clubhouse, leave the locker room, get on the bus, go back to the team hotel you've got to change, you've got to take a shower, you've got to uh, pack up your stuff. All of that could be used as symbolic, a symbolic process of washing away the game, maybe taking some notes before you do that so that they're fresh, but you're getting them out and putting them on paper and allowing them to be constructive because we can learn so much from failure. And so we put them out there and say, okay, I did this. I did this. I have a process of getting that information out. And then I put it in my book or I put it on my phone and then I close it. And then I, I, you know, go wash it off, go take a shower, clean it off and use that all as part of a process to come back to being a, a human in a bigger sense. Awesome. Love it. So when I'm listening to you, Doug, I'm wondering, like, what, what powers you to do this work? What powers you, you know, when you were either, you know, at, at the Army or in Iraq or now with the Rockies? What's kind of the, the why behind your work? I was thinking about this. It's kind of, I, I, I don't know if this, this analogy makes sense to anybody but me. But <laughs> I take this, I was an offensive lineman, and I sort of take this offensive lineman mentality is that, you know, you should only hear about me when I screw up and you know I, I help you know people look good but I don't need to be the person who's you know getting his you know compliments or whatever and and I think that a lot I just take a lot of 
uh, reward out of seeing people go from one place to a, to a much better place. And, and so that kind of offensive lineman mentality of, you know, I don't need necessarily the acknowledgements, but I love being a part of something bigger and, and watching people excel at the highest level. Certainly, you know, watching soldiers excel and giving them opportunities to grow as leaders and um, the same idea with, with, with athletes, not just grow as, as people who can execute on in, in terms of an offensive or defensive player, but also be a part of a clubhouse, be a part of a bigger organization, and, and help lead our team to bigger and better things. Excellent. I know O-linemen, man, they just, they have to grind every single play, <laughs> right? They're, they're not getting the newspaper write-ups or many times the awards. So I love that analogy. I'm glad it makes sense uh, to yes. anybody. <laughs> 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 makes sense to me. Right. So uh, Doug, how could people connect with you if they're interested? Are you on social or what's the kind of best way to reach out to you? If uh, I'm terrible with this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I don't do the social media too much. I, I do it for the guys, like I do WhatsApp and stuff with the with the players that I work with. I, I don't have a website of my own. You know, it's kind of this behind the scenes offensive lineman mentality too, I guess. So I, I, I think that's probably probably the weakest part of of my work is that I'm not that progressive. And of course, you know, that probably was influenced by Ken and, and uh, his old school ways. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, you can listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Great. That's excellent. Well, and I think with your job, you don't have to be on social media, right? Whereas right. other people who maybe need to get out there with their work or bl building a practice or a following, but, you know, you don't necessarily have to do that with the Rockies. Yeah, at least at this point, and I don't see myself going anywhere, but it's, uh, it's certainly comforting to have one organization to wor work with, and I love that baseball uh, really has progressed in that way, that there's full-time positions uh, now at multiple levels of uh, each baseball organization. Um, we're a little bit more conservative with our growth. Uh, I have one uh, additional member of my um, mental skills team, uh, Jerry Amador, uh, who's actually out of Puerto Rico, but works full-time with us and uh, does a great job. But this is great that there's these full-time positions that the pioneers uh, in this world of, at least in baseball with, with uh, Ken and Charlie Maher and Harvey Dorfman helped lay this foundation that we have full-time jobs. Absolutely. And now the majority of Major League Baseball teams have at least one person on staff. Yeah, yeah, which is just really, I mean, over the last 10 years, it's exploded. And, and as I mentioned, there's a number of teams with, with uh, folks almost at every level, every minor league team having a mental skills coach, just as they would have a, an athletic trainer or a strength and conditioning coach. They've got a mental skills professional working with them only on the on the performance side not we're not talking about clinicians uh for the most part we're talking about people working on the performance side of this 
Absolutely. Well, Doug, it was awesome to connect with you today and to learn more about what you're doing and in your background. I found your background completely fascinating um, and how, you know, the Heads Up Baseball book was, was in Iraq with you. Um, here's several things that I'm taking away from, from the interview, and I want to summarize it here for those people who are listening, but also you know, just, to, just to tell you how much I appreciated it. And so I like how when you were talking about the world's best and how they can bring their best consistently and they can bring it when it matters. And one of the factors that you thought was really important was just the ability to have a short-term memory. And we talked a lot about like how to train that, right? Tr training the trust or um, train as you fight, kind of your analogy there. And even different ways to be in the present, kind of these symbolic gestures, uh, picking up the dirt or spitting <laughs> like that one for baseball or, yeah. you know, uh, taking off your hat and wipe, wiping your forehead. Um, and, I, and I appreciated the connection to the military and, and what you've seen, how the military is similar to, to professional baseball. And, and uh, the two other things I'm taking from today is train as you fight and just how my sports psychology professionals help coaches um, consider that and how they're uh, structuring practice, but uh, also how the enemy gets the vote in the outcome. I thought that was a excellent phrase um, that really connects back to, to focusing on what you can control. And there's a lot of things in sport and even in the military, as you pointed out um, in life that you can't control. Yeah, I think you got it. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's a pretty good summary of, uh, of our short conversation here, but uh Hopefully that helps a few people doing the work or for your audience here uh, to, to start to integrate some of that stuff uh, if that helps them uh, become great performers. Excellent. Thank you so much, Doug. I so appreciate you being on today. You got it. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out drsyndra.com.